0: Hey, I'm going to invite you to do something we don't normally do. It's a little old school, but why don't today, why don't we stand uh, in honor of God's Word? Let's read it together. Uh, you can pull it out on your phone, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read it out loud, just in honor of God's Word. It's kind of how I think you would want us to hear it today. We're going to dive into this, hear our passage for the day, then pray a little bit, pack what in the world Jesus is talking about. Sound good? Cool, 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 cool. All right, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 38. Um, Here's what Jesus says. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That's our passage for today. Now, before we dive into what this means for our lives, I want to ask you to to pray for a guy who I met this week. Um, If you remember last week, I started this message out in kind of a different way than normally do, and I I referenced this passage that that talks about rescuing and, and reaching out to people who may be stumbling towards death. And um, I can't go into a whole story yet, but this past week, I think eventually I'm going to get to tell you a really good story uh, for the glory of God. Um, I can't tell it all the way full yet, but I need your help in helping this story round out. Um, Oddly enough, I need you to pray for a guy, uh, a man named Matthew, um, who my path crossed with this week, um, who could use our help. All right, so can you, again, you don't need to know the whole story. Uh, no, his name's Matthew. And um, God knows his whole story. And um, I'm going to invite you to pray a little bit for Matthew this morning. And then we're going to dive into, again, the irony is not lost on me, the gospel of Matthew and see what God would say for us and to us today. All right. Pray for Matthew and now pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this reminder that you know every single one of us by name. That every name that's represented in this room, that every name that's represented online, that every name represents a soul that has an eternal destination. Heaven or hell, those are the things that are hung in the balance of our namesake. And the only thing that can change those is us understanding who you are. Us bowing at the name of Jesus and saying, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are mighty, you are King And our life is empty and purposeless and bound hopelessly in addictions of chains and fear and shame. If it's not for your love and your grace. And Jesus, as we come to this passage today, I pray that you would help us know what in the world you're getting after here. What you mean, Jesus. In a room like this, God, there's so many people with so many different wounds. So many different scars, God. So many things that have happened to us have left a mark. And Jesus, I pray that we're able to see today what you did about that. In your name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So the neighborhood I grew up in was one of those types of neighborhoods where there was just a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And we were the type of kids in the neighborhood that, we just woke up in the morning during the summer, and we just went out to play. And then the day would just go by, and it was like we were just free-range children. And eventually, we would maybe come home to get some food for lunch, and then we'd just, you know what? Go back out to play again, and then we would come back. And so we just spent a lot of time just like out. And we would do all sorts of different things. A lot of our lives revolved around things on wheels. So whether it was go-karts, skateboards, um, rollerblades, BMX bikes, whatever. We even had this weird season where we did pogo sticks for a little while. Like, we did all of that type of stuff. And it was just one of those neighborhoods where there's tons of kids around. Anybody grow up in a neighborhood like that? Where it's just like, you just, it's not how parenting is now. Like, parenting now is like 14 helmets, knee pads. You know, you're tracking them on their phone. Like, what part of the neighborhood they're in. Like, our parents are just like, go play. And we just went to play. And it was awesome. And somehow we made it. One of those days where we were just going out to play... We were riding our bikes around the neighborhood, and there was a a particular kid in our neighborhood who, uh, they didn't live in our neighborhood, but his dad cut grass at one of the houses in our neighborhood, and so they're there. He's cutting grass with his dad. At this point in time, I'm in seventh grade. This little kid, uh, who's a little bit younger than I am, he's probably around fourth grade, and we're just kind of riding around the neighborhood. We don't really know who he is. He's just kind of there, and I I don't know what happened. I I was the youngest one kind of in our friend group. Most of the other guys were a little bit older than me, and what I think happened is, is somebody said something to him or started picking on him or something that's kind of, we're riding around the block and made a joke, ha ha, you're working and we're playing, I don't know, something like that. So the next time we make it around the block though, this kid takes, anybody remember what a pruning saw is? You know what pruning saw? So it's one of those saws, like, long pole, and you put it up in the tree to prune the tree, right? And, and again, not one of the electric ones where it's like, and that's, like, really chomping stuff down, but one that's got, like, the Grim Reaper, like, hook and sickle looking thing on it, and then it looks like shark teeth. It's, like, super jagged. As I'm coming down the hill, this kid sticks the pruning saw out in front of my bike, and I've got this really cool scar on my shin, Right here, it goes from here to here. I don't know if you can see this online, people, but, like, that's why you need to come to church. Um, see trace scars. <laughs> so I've got this huge scar on my leg, and it was crazy when it happened because... When it happened, I remember riding on my bike and then feeling this happen. And it's one of those like wounds that's so deep that you don't even feel it initially. Like you've ever had one of those happen where you're like, whoa, and it's just the adrenaline or whatever kicks in and it's so deep. And I look down and I don't see red, I don't see blood blushing everywhere. I just see bone. I see white. And luckily I was I was already close to the bottom of the hill, close to kind of where my house was. And so I, you know, look down at this and I go, That's gonna leave a mark. And uh you know, ride, throw a bike into the house, throw back bike into the grass, screaming, yelling, run up the run up to the front door. Mom, my leg. And, like, Mom, she doesn't, you know, parents in the room, you see this, your kids, imagine, kid coming up the stairs. You see him. like, she just looks at me in the eye. She's already heard me screaming. She looks down. She just sees my leg. She doesn't say anything to me. She just immediately turns back around. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait. And the, she's going to get, like, a, a towel. She, like, tourniquet wraps around my legs. And then, man, guys, you guys don't know how, like, there is nothing more, like, bad like in a good, bad, than like a mom who's in panic mode. My mom drove a five-speed Ford Explorer two-door, throws me in the passenger seat, and again, I'm in seventh grade, and she just, in reverse, again, five-speed, in reverse, down a big, hilly driveway, and just peels out like almost on two wheels to take me to Tanner Hospital in Carrollton, Georgia, to get this thing fixed up. And I end up getting... Seven stitches, like the dissolvable inside ones, and like 13 on the outside. I was able to miss school for a week and beat Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 um, on video games. Yeah, I got to hang out at grandma's house and play video games because it was so deep that they were like worried that if I go back to school, somebody could hit it and bust this thing back open, had a little bit of nerve damage. Anyway, I tell you all that to say, we all have had those moments in our life, some of them have a physical wound, where it happened, and you had that thought, this is going to leave a mark. Some of you, it was maybe something that happened physical, but for some of you, it was something that happened that was verbal. Somebody said something to you, or you said something to somebody. You said something to your spouse in the midst of an argument. You said something. As soon as it came out of your mouth, you knew, ooh, that's going to leave a mark. You had somebody leave your life, whether through death or abandonment, and you knew even as you watched them leave, the taillights of their life passing yours by, you knew this is going to leave a mark. I'm gonna be different because of this. See, we've all had those times in our life where somebody has done something to us or said something to us or maybe even not done something to us or not said something to us and it's left a mark. And that old adage that we used to talk about when we were riding bikes around the neighborhood like sticks and stones can break my bones but words would never hurt me. We all know that's collective garbage because we felt those words leave those marks and leave those scars. And so today, Jesus is gonna dive into what do you do when somebody does something wrong to you? See, anytime somebody does something to us, whether it's slicing our leg open with a pruning saw or saying a cuss word about our mama, we all have something in us that wants to retaliate, that wants to get back at them. And Jesus is going to speak directly into this, and wherever you're at in this, I need you to slow down and press pause because you need this. Everybody here, we we need to hear what Jesus is saying because the simple reality of all of our lives is at some point somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's gonna do something, say something, not say something, or say something. Somebody's gonna take something from you that you thought was rightly, rightfully yours and it's gonna leave a mark. And what Jesus is gonna talk about here is what do you do when somebody does something to you and you want nothing but payback? Let's go to a scripture. Matthew 2. Chapter 5, 38. Again, Jesus is in the sixth antithesis. It's him saying, hey, if you're going to get into my kingdom, if you're going to fit in here, if your life is going to be the, the good life that I'm truly calling you after to, your righteousness is going to have to surpass the Pharisees. And then he begins to go and pick apart all of the Pharisees' righteousness and say, well, well they said just don't murder people or just don't divorce people or just you know, don't you know, commit adultery. But he's saying, I'm taking it a step deeper. I'm taking it to the heart. See, if you stick by these rules, your heart's always gonna beat out of rhythm with my reign and my kingdom. If you wanna beat in rhythm with me, if you wanna get rid of the arrhythmia in your heart, you've gotta take it to the heart level. And he unpacks this here. He he kind of picks apart what they used to say about these things. Matthew 5, 38, he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which, man, if you've never even been to church, you've heard this before. I am an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We've heard this before. Well, there's a lyric of a song, Whatever, we've all heard this. I want to show you where it comes from. Leviticus, it's it actually shows up three different times in the Old Testament. This is what Jesus is quoting, and he's quoting from the law of God. It shows up in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 19 and 20. Or Leviticus 24, 19 and 21, actually. This is what it said there. God gave this law, this rule, kind of this balancing act, of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, in Leviticus 24. He gave it through Moses. He says, anyone who injures their neighbor, <laughs> or, or, or someone who's in their neighborhood... Is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must take, well, must make restitution. But whoever kills a human must be put to death. Now, let me explain this, unpack this, because we think this is a rule for neighborhood stuff, like just people to people. But when this rule was given it was given to do two things. And this is all God's rules, all God's laws, all God's commands were given to do two things primarily, to provide and protect. A good father, that's what they do. They give rules to provide and protect. This one was to protect people for getting overly punishment for the wrong that they do. To protect people for when they may make a joke about somebody or, or say something about them, to protect them for getting their leg blasted open by a pruning saw. And that's kind of what was happening in their day and age. Somebody would do something, somebody you know, accidentally you know, hurt an animal or something like that. It was yours. Well, then you say, well, I'm going, to kill all, I'm going to kill three of your animals. The problem was is that the retaliation didn't match the initial crime. And so God, as a good heavenly father, he sees his kids taking things to the infinite level. He sees this thing happen here and it always going to the next degree. And so he says, I understand that my people, they can't handle this. So he gives a rule that's not supposed to be for the people to govern themselves, but he gives a rule for their judges and this whole eye for an eye two thing, it wasn't a neighborhood law. It was a law that was given to the judges. So that if you had something that you did wrong against me, I wouldn't just go retaliate immediately. I would take that to the judge and he would say, okay, sir, what was done to you? They killed one of your goats? Okay, cool. We're going to kill one of their goats. The end. And that's why God gave the rule. The problem was, is people made it vigilante justice. Everybody put their Batman hats on and said, well, we're going to make it even defined by how we think it's even. And that didn't work out. And it didn't work out because perfect people or imperfect people cannot implement perfect punishment. And we still live in this world. And so Jesus speaks into this. He says, this is what you've heard. You said, this is is how it should be. And he says, I'm going to give you an actual better reality. In verse 39, he says, but I tell you in my kingdom, this is how things roll. Do not resist an evil person. Let's pause right there before we get in all the cheek talk. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let me talk to you about my kingdom. Let me talk to you about a heart that beats in rhythm with me. Because we know that the marks, the, sh- the things that people do that leave a mark, they cause our heart to beat out of rhythm with him. So Jesus takes it to a heart level and he says, let's, let's talk about this. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Do not resist an evil person, which let's just camp out there. We here don't resist an evil person. And listen, the red-blooded Americanness kind of in us, we just go, hmm, we cringe at that. Like we've read a lot of really hard things that Jesus has said already in the Sermon on the Mount. And let's be honest, man, you come to a passage like this and you go, ugh, I really don't like this one. I don't like the idea of of getting walked all over. I I don't like the idea of just rolling over for people and being punched in the face and having my stuff stolen. I just really don't like that. And I think some of this comes from where we have overswung the pendulum in this passage to take it to mean that don't resist the evil person means that I just tie my hands behind my back and let the intruders in my house take my family, beat me, rob us, and, and take my kids away for ransom. That's not what this passage means. In the Greek word right there where it says, do not resist an evil person. That word resist, just as often as it is translated resist, it is translated oppose. Other passages you can actually read in other translations of the Bible, it actually says do not oppose an evil person. Now I feel like that is a much better translation of what that truth that Jesus is getting after there. Because I think, again, what Jesus is all after is our heart and our identity. And so when he says don't oppose an evil person, okay, well now we're thinking, because all of us, when somebody does something wrong to us, like when my leg gets sliced open, that kid is now the enemy. We identify the person who did the wrong as our enemy. And what Jesus is saying when he says, don't oppose someone who's doing evil to you. I believe what he's saying is, in your mind, do not self-identify as their opposition. And here's why I believe he's saying that when we set ourselves up as the opposition to somebody who's done evil to us, what that now means is because I'm your opposition, I can never be for you. Now, the pacifists would say that's exactly what Jesus is after. Scripturally, I believe what Jesus is saying is I want you to embrace something that is more complicated but more gospel-centered. And it's understanding that you can be fully against the evil that someone does, yet be fully for them as a person. Because you have chosen not to set yourself up as their opposition. You're still saying, I am still for you while opposing what you did wrong to me. I am still for the young man who would have thought, for some reason, these kids have made me mad enough to throw a pruning saw out of me. I am totally opposed to kids getting legs cut open by pruning saws. I can be for a young man who's confused enough, angry enough to do something like that and to say, what happened there? And Jesus, in kind of the same way we're all in the room, we're going, okay, so what does it mean that I can be against the wrong someone does to me, but still for them as a person? What in the world is that going to look like? Jesus knows that we would go, hmm, and he knew the people in the crowd were going, hmm, and so he says, let me give you four examples. The rest of the time, that's what we're going to walk through. All right. So the first example, is he says, hey, if anyone slaps you On the right cheek, turn to them, the other cheek also. Now, again, when we read this, ultimately, like like right off jump, we think he's talking about like just being punched in the cheek, just something that's like, okay, physical altercation, we're getting ready to throw hands. That's really not what was going on. See, at that point in time, again, you got to understand the context to know what Jesus is talking about. When when they would have said, when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, people would have understood that as a public display of insult, public humiliation. It wasn't something that was meant to necessarily knock you down to your feet. It, it'd be like you're in a marketplace, and you come up, and some dude's selling bananas. And you're like, man, these bananas are weak, man. They got stuff all over them, and they're, they're lame. And th- these are like his prized bananas. He's like, bro, these are my, these, my grandma made these. These are like, these are our bananas, man. My family heritage is all about bananas. And you, he just starts getting frustrated by bananas, and you just, you stick to your guns. You're like, these bananas are trash, man. And he gets frustrated because you're publicly insulting his bananas, Well, he finds his identity in. So he takes his right hand into your right cheek, and everybody sees that in the crowd and goes, Ooh, and it's public insult. And so what Jesus is saying here is it, it, not about physical altercations of somebody hurting you. Like MMA fighters, they're like, I'm going for slaps to the cheek. Like you don't see a whole lot of that in MMA or boxing. Like they're not trying to slap people in the cheek. He's not talking about physical violence. He's talking about personal humiliation and insult going against get somebody's character, their pride, their ego publicly. And the best illustration I can give you this comes from my own household. So at the shoemaker household, again, um, the only reason pastors have kids is so they can be using sermon illustrations. Um, so in my household, here, here's what this looks like. And here's what Jesus is after, because he says this, and he says, if somebody does that to you, turn to them the other cheek. And I'll, I think here's what he's after. So In my household, sometimes we're sitting around a dinner table. Titus sits here. Jessica sits across from me. Ezra sits right there. We're sitting down eating dinner. Now, again, Ezra doesn't do this a whole lot. He's just cute and silly, and he's three, so he doesn't really know what he's talking about a whole lot. Titus is old enough to know when he's being a jerk, okay? So he's there. Now, sometimes he will say something or ask for something or be ungrateful about something at the dinner table that is completely disrespectful to his mother. You know, He'll say, Mom, I don't like this food. I don't want to eat this. He'll complain about what he's been given. He won't be thankful for it at all. It's something that's just a jerk move. Now, in that moment, it is a public humiliation to my wife. It is public dishonor to my wife. Now, the pacifist interpretation of this text would mean I, as a leader of the household, who has just had his wife disrespected by my own offspring, would just keep eating my mashed potatoes. The pacifist would say, let it roll. Again, Turn You know, whatever, don't do anything. The old school, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth interpretation of this text would be flip him out of the chair and whoop his butt all the way up the stairs. Here's what I believe is a gospel response. And this is what, like, again, it's not what always happens, but here's what sometimes happens in the shoemake household. Disrespect happens. Public disrespect happens. And it startles him a little bit because there's a sternness in my voice and I talk for a living and so my voice can have that alarming effect and so again in the quietness there's a disrespect happens and and he says something. There's a pause and he sees me scoot the chair back, look at him and go, try again. And in that moment, something goes off in his head and he realizes I just did something wrong and what's being given to him in the try again is an opportunity to treat his mother with respect. See, I think that's what Jesus is after. When he says, when someone is publicly disrespectful for you, he's saying the, the, the result is not to just let them slap your cheek and then just you know pretend like nothing happened. That's a pacifist. The re- also result is not for you to slap them back. The, the, the result, the thing that you should do, the gospel response is to say, I'm gonna give you another opportunity to treat me like I'm a human. I'm going to give you another opportunity to treat me with respect. I'm not going to retaliate and hit you back, but I'm going to give you another opportunity to try again. And this is the hard part because all of us, we want to hit people back. And see, this is where Jesus is right off the gate with this. He's trying to help us see when we respond. We respond by the way that he responds to our greatest problem. The wounds, the sin, our mess up, jack upness. He says, I'm responding to that with two things, mercy and grace. And that's what he starts out here with. He starts out with mercy initially. Now remember, let's give a summary of mercy and grace. Let's talk about the two differences between the two things. Mercy is when you withhold usually something negative that someone deserves because of the wrong that they did. All right, now God has full of mercy. Like we deserve hell, sin, punishment. God withholds that, that's his mercy. Also, there's this thing called grace. Now, grace is when God gives something usually good that we do not deserve, all right? Both of these are on display in this initial example that he gives with the whole slap thing. I'm giving you mercy by not slapping you back, and I'm giving you grace with the other cheek. Here's your chance to try again. Now, we hear that and go, that's not fair. That's not, I don't like that. To which Jesus says, okay, let me give you another, another example. And he takes it on from there. He goes, okay, let's uh, let's talk about lawsuits. You know, we all love lawsuits. We all love legal litigations. He says, let's go to Matthew 40. Look at what he says. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt and hand over your coat as well to them. Again, some of your translations may talk about tunics and cloaks. Um, the tunic was the... So so when you got dressed in that day and age, everybody sitting there most likely kind of has this get up. They have an undergarment, like this. their full undergarment. Usually it's like body length. That's, you know, their underwear, essentially. And then over that, you place a tunic, and it's a little bit thicker. You put that over you, and then on top of that, you put your thickest layer, your cloak, all right? Now, the cloak in that day and age, especially if you were poor, you only had one set of clothes. There are actually like legal rules put against taking somebody's cloak, like the outer thing. So if you, for instance, you know, if you put down your cloak as collateral, you had, again, there were legal rules against this, that you had to give that back by the end of the day, if you're the person that got that from them. Because a lot of people who were living in poverty, their outer thing, the tunic, that would be used as bedding. It was essentially like a sleeping bag. And so there are all these rules and stuff on that. So Jesus is saying in this example he gives here, Okay, somebody takes you to court, which again, really petty to sue somebody over clothes. Um, they take you to court, and they're trying to get not your base layer, but kind of like your outer shirt and not your jacket. They're trying to get that from you. Now everybody in the crowd, they would have gone, okay, yeah, that makes sense. If they can get that from me, well, I still have my tunic, my jacket, and that can cover up so nobody sees my, my underwear that's underneath that. Now, we don't laugh when we hear this verse because we didn't live in their culture. But what Jesus is saying when he says, if anybody wants your tunic, give them your, or anybody wants your your tunic, give them your cloak as well, what they would have in in their minds seen is somebody standing there in their underwear. Going, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Why Why in the world would I give somebody more than they're asking for? More than the law would require? And Jesus says, again, I'm trying to create a different kingdom here. I'm trying to create something different to where we're willing to give people what they think they need. Again, I'm trying to be a, a person, I'm going to be a God who's initiating this kingdom where we can show people that we are for them even when we're against the wrong that they do. And again, it's not walking, letting people walk all over us and take advantage of us, but the, the, the wild thing about this passage is When Jesus says this, people see someone naked and vulnerable before them. And what Jesus is saying here is, anytime you're allowing my grace to be on display, it's going to be at the risk of vulnerability. It's going to be at the risk of loss. Now, again, we don't have a whole lot of people trying to sue us for our clothes, right? Nobody's probably had that happen. But, we have had moments and times in our life where people have tried to take things from us that we thought in our heart or in our life, that thing is rightfully mine. Maybe an example for you is, you know, you got older family members who are passing away to go be with Jesus. You know, maybe it's your dad and then your, your mama passed along a while ago and she's already in heaven. Dad just passed away and now, like, the house and the stuff, it's all for grabs, And so you, from generation to generation, have had your eyes on the grandfather clock, and you want it, and you've already called dibs. You were at the hospital. Grandpa, Dad, I love you. Can I have a grandfather clock? Like, (laughs) you're doing all those things. And so like, you live in Oklahoma City. You know, you know, Dad, Dad lives in Oklahoma City. You're here in Georgia, whatever. You you finally get out to Oklahoma City once everybody's kind of dividing stuff out. You got the U-Haul truck. You're you're planning on helping everything out. You come into the house, and you know where it's supposed to be. And that's what you're walking in the house looking for. And you see it, and right there in the corner, there's no grandfather clock. And you go, whoa, where's the grandfather clock? Well, your sister-in-law took it. Who? Who took the grandfather clock? Like you start freaking out, panicking. Who took the grandfather clock? You start freaking out. And your blood starts to boil because there's no legal, there's nothing that's really written down about it. And this person got something that you thought was rightfully yours, and you're freaking out. It's leaving a mark that was what you were going to put in your house. See, Jesus is trying to create a group of people. He's trying to create people who be a part of a kingdom that will say, hey, you want the grandfather clock? Why don't you take his tool chest as well? And you hear this and you're like, gosh, that, that's, that's the weakest person in the room. No, false. That, that's the strongest person in the room. The strongest person in the room who sec- is, is the person whose security is not bound up in stuff. The the strongest person in the room is the one who goes, I don't care about a grandfather clock. And I refuse to let a grandfather clock come between me and my relationship with my heavenly father. So take it. Take the grandfather clock. Take the tool chest. Take it all. And again, we hear a passage like this and something in in our American hearts, just like our human hearts, goes, that's not fair. They're getting something they don't deserve. To which Jesus goes, exactly and this is, this is what you have to understand. This is, this is what he's putting on display, and he's gonna round out this thought and this concept next week. is, is really these kinda, this week's message and the next week's message is really just a one-two punch from Jesus rounding out these six antithesis. He says it's not fair, and that's exactly the point. And what he's saying here is from this moment forward, from this sermon on until the cross, what you're gonna understand is we are no longer fair people. We are grace people. It's not about what's fair. It's about what grace requires. And again, I think this is where, again, none of us, when we're honest with ourselves, like be honest, you don't want Jesus coming to your door and knocking on it and say, hey, do you really want all that you deserve? Do you you, you want to play things fair? Like I don't want Jesus to play fair with me. If he plays fair with me, I'm in hell. If he plays fair with me, I'm just continuing on down the family line of of, of drug addiction and everything. Like I don't want him to play fair with me. I'm so thankful he played grace with me. And he says, I am going to look to you no longer to be eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, fair people. I'm looking for you to be grace people. And grace is defined by giving people the very thing that they do not deserve. Because your security is not in stuff. Your security is in who I am as Savior. And then from there he takes them to uh, his next example. It says, you know, somebody wants to sue you and take your shirt. Well, okay. Let's talk. Let's talk some more. Let's go to uh, Matthew five forty one. He says, "Now, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go with them too." Maybe you've heard this passage taught before. What What he's getting to here, getting to here in the context is, in that day and age, that whole area of, of that that Jesus lived in. Especially Jerusalem, Galilee, and everywhere else, there's a large population of Jews, but they are not the kings. They're not the ones in charge. They're not making the rules. They're not governing that the Romans are. And, and the Jews, they're not for that. They don't like that. The Jews are actually looking for a savior who will come in and make Jerusalem great again. That's why they don't like, that's why they end up not liking Jesus, because they thought they wanted another David to come in. They want a guy to flip over tables and, and have a tyrannical takeover and kill folks and kill Rome. And Jesus does exactly the opposite. He allows Himself to be killed. Starts a whole new kingdom. One not defined by gold and jewels and power, but one defined by mercy and forgiveness and grace. Totally flips their whole idea of what a lord and a king should be. And so, what these Roman soldiers would do oftentimes is you just mind your own business. A lot of times they would do this for to men because they knew that they could kind of handle the handle the load. You're a Roman soldier, and some, your commander says, hey, I need you to go five miles that way and go take care of something. Well, you've got all your gear, pack, equipment, everything else. We went through the armor of God. We, we talked about how heavy all that stuff was. He could see you just mind your own business. I mean, you can go be getting ready to go get in the car rider line, pick up your kid four hours early or whatever, and he's just like, I don't care. you got a mile to go with me. And under the law, under the rule, he could make you go one mile with him. And that one mile was defined by 1,000 steps. And here's how oftentimes that went. You know, because the, the Jewish citizens, they hate this rule. They hate being oppressed. They know that this land is supposed to be our land. Again, they, their heartbeat is make make Jerusalem great again. Make it be like, God, like we are God's chosen people. Because we look around and feel like I'm God's chosen person when I'm having to walk with a Roman soldier as he's just, you know, shooting the breeze. And I got his load, carrying his burden. And so they would walk. And they get, get going, 997, 998, 999, 1,000, and they drop it. I've done what the law required. And what Jesus is saying here is you go that first mile because that's what the Roman law requires. You go that second mile because that's what being a part of my kingdom will require. That You're willing to go the extra mile. You're willing to leverage the extra mile to show people that there is a God who's willing to go miles and miles and miles and miles for them. You go the extra mile to show people, hey, I represent one who will bear the burden that no one else could carry. I, I represent, I'm a representative here on earth. I am an ambassador of Christ, and I represent the one who will carry the burdens of not just your back, but of your heart. He says that's why we go the extra mile. So for us you know, here in you know, 2021, what in the world are we talking about there? You know, we hear you know go the extra mile. And we think about that, like doing an extra ten push-ups at the end of a workout. That's not what Jesus is after here. He's after how we treat people we don't agree with. He's after how we treat our enemies. He's after how you treat the manager, boss, or supervisor who gets on your last nerve. That's what he's after. You giving them, you busting your butt to help them. You you doing what you can to protect them to make them look good in front of the, of the big boss. That's what he's talking about. And again, that's not fun. And again, everything in us goes. That's not fair. And again, Jesus says, I don't care about fair. I care about grace. What does grace require? What does love require? So maybe the question we start asking ourselves this week is, okay, what does it look like to go the extra mile? And you'll begin to know, like if you can even this week, here's how you know you're winning. If you can just have a moment where in the craziness of life, you at least pause this week to ask the question, you're winning, like seriously. If you at least just go, hey, well, okay, what would the extra mile require right now? You know, teacher sent something back from your kid and it's just crazy and whatever. And, you know, or, you, know you you know, I got to go online again. You, you turn into a substitute teacher. Whatever it may be. Okay, I don't agree with this. I'm frustrated with this. What is What does the extra mile look like in this situation? Watch what God would do. Watch what God would do. And then Jesus gives his last example. He says, give to the one who asks. This is verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Which we hear that and we're like, okay, so you tell me, Pastor Trent, that I got to give to every person with a cardboard sign for the next, you know, end of my life if I want to really follow Jesus. I don't think that's what this is saying. Do I got to give to every single person who asks me? I I don't think always. Did, Did every family member who comes to me is like, hey, man, I'm starting a new business? Talking about floating furniture, okay? Like floating furniture, like a case house, you know, whatever. Like, I don't think that's what he's after. You know, when your nephew says, I'm starting, trying to start a record, record label, and you're like, no, no, I'm best best invest in that. What I do believe he's after here is, again, doing what we can with the lives we have to say that we are not in opposition to somebody. So what, what can I do to show that I am for this person? I may be against this really dumb idea, I may be against you potentially again keyword potentially taking this money that I may give you and using it for something stupid drugs, you know wasting it, whatever it may be. We, we deal with this all the time as a church we give away a lot of money as a church to people who are in need and man uh, we've just had to kind of get to this place and, and, and maybe you maybe we've led the way in this that you can kind of follow suit. We've just had to get to this place, and it frustrates me because there's this big part of my heart that wants to be an incredible steward of all the resources that God has given through you for us to steward as a church. But at some point, we kind of have to wash our hands and go, we serve a Jesus who was fully taken advantage of, stripped and naked and beaten on a cross, so we can't, you know, unbeknownst to us, sit around and think, nobody's ever going to take advantage of us in the grace and generosity that we offer them. And so, for you, man, like the person on the side of the road is saying, I want five bucks. You know, I need, I need some food. I want to get, I don't want a tank of gas. Just help me with this, whatever it may be. Listen, we get into those moments and we become like the stewardship junkie and we're like, okay, you know, well, tell me your life. You know, what's your five year plan? You know, where are you going? You know, how much cash do you need? Well, I'm not going to give you any cash, but I will take you over here to buy a Big Mac. I, I will do these things. We do all these things. We get super concerned about stewardship in those moments. To which I would just say, like, do you really want to play the stewardship game with Jesus? To come knock on your door and go, hey, have you used everything that I've ever given you, specifically financially, to my benefit, exactly how I wanted you to? And he says, I know what your closet looks like. Ladies laugh first. That's good. There's a shoe drive. Um, he, says, he says, you don't want to play the fair game. And he says, you don't want to play the stewardship game either. Because you'll lose that too. Like, here, here's how I've started thinking about like, some, some sometimes somebody needs something for me, you know, and I, I I do think it is wise to go, what exactly do you need? And when they say that, again, there's there's usually going to be a, a dollar amount attached to that. The question I ask myself, have I mismanaged fifteen dollars? Yeah. Have I mismanaged fifteen dollars that Jesus gave to me? Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to take a I'm going to take a chance right here try to make it right. I don't know what he's gonna do with it. I don't know where he's gonna spend it. I don't know what it's gonna go for, but I'm gonna to try to do my best to make it right. And see, these are the moments where our giving can show people the God who's given to us. This is the moments where our generosity can, can display to people that we serve a God who, when we did not deserve it at all. When we were, were our own addictions, our, our own stupid ideas that we were chasing after, said I'm going to pursue you I'm going to love you I'm going to pour out the riches of my grace and mercy on top of your life in such a way that you have no idea the ripple effects this is going to make for generations now he looks at us and goes what are you going to do with it again it, this all goes back to what we talked about a, little, uh, a couple of few weeks ago like it's not just about your relationship with God and primarily like your relationship with God is not as good as you think it is if your relationship with everybody else is jacked up and so he he comes to us and he says all right man, let's let's try to figure this out So he says, give to the one who asks, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And I I want you to see today, as we close, what this looks like for our life. Because when you see this passage here, like we see it, and again, we we put ourselves in the crowd. Like, put yourself in the setting. Jesus is saying this uh, there on the mountainside in Galilee. And he's putting these four examples out there. Maybe you've never connected these dots, but all four of these examples that he speaks as he's kind of laying the foundation for what his life and his ministry and everything that he's about, he puts these four examples out. And how how Jesus is it that we see these same things happen on another mountain? He says them there in Galilee, and they show up as he's going to Calvary. Because as he's walking there, we talked about this last week, he's surrounded by the Sanhedrin and they're interrogating, they're asking him these questions, and he gives them his answer and smack him in the face. And Jesus, kind of his way of saying try again, he says, if I've told you anything but the truth, why are you hitting me? And then from there he gets slapped and punched and beaten by Roman soldiers. All the while, not fighting back. And again, not out of weakness. Out of relentless restraint, he allows it to happen. And then, you know, the next example. If anybody wants to take your undershirt, you know, give to them your overcoat as well. And we pretty up a lot of pictures of the crucifixion. And there's a loincloth on a lot of those. But Jesus takes it a step further. You know, when people hear the illustration there on the mountainside, they think of, they envision a person just standing there in their underwear. But if you were on the hillside there in Golgotha, if you were looking up at Calvary, if you were there with Jesus and the two criminals, you would have seen three naked guys. And so he says, I- I'm willing to lay my life completely vulnerable. Be willing to-, to lay out your outer garments, be able to lay out the clothing that you think is defined. You be able to lay out the outer trappings of your life that think define you, whether it's a truck, a car, a neighborhood, whatever. Be willing to let go and open-handed those types of things to say it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to let go of those things. Your life was never defined by those things anyway. It's defined by how I gave my life for you. And we see him on the cross giving the shirt off of his back for us so that we can now be people who go, That's what grace required. I guess I got to not be fair as well. I guess I got to be grace. And then the whole extra mile thing Jesus doesn't just take a Roman's tool bag, He takes a Roman tool of torture and He puts it on His back. And they say, Carry this. And because he's already gone through all the other things that he's gone through, where he's turned the other cheek and been beaten, where he's given his back open to be flogged with a cat of nine tails, he can't carry this cross beam up the hill to Calvary anymore. And so he falls down under the weight of the cross, and they do the same rule, the whole extra mile rule. They pull a guy out of the crowd named Simon. They grab Simon out of the crowd, They put him under Jesus' cross, and he carries it up there for him. And then, a fourth example. Give to the one who asks and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And that's where we see Jesus fully give grace. And here's what you need to know. He will never turn away from the one who asks for his grace. Those who come to him, those who come to him, in the same way someone may come and beg for you something, you come to Jesus, you show up and you beg him for grace, you beg him for mercy, it is on full tap for you there is no length that he won't go to show you his grace, to show you his love, to show you his mercy and he cannot wait, longs to give it to you because in doing that, he does the thing. He says, I am against your sin, wholeheartedly against your sin. It Put me on that cross. I'm against your addiction. I'm against your same. I'm against all of those things but friend, brother, sister, child of mine, I am for you. I'm not just for you in resources. I'm for you in my life because I'm giving my life for you. And see, that's where this journey starts. Not in the marks. This journey starts in not what has been done to you, but it starts in what's been done for you. And my my hope is that we would all be able to say this together today. That we'd be people who live for this different kingdom and can say a line like this, however bold and scary it may be. Today, from this moment forward, I'm choosing to become a person who is less defined by my scars and more defined by his, more defined by his. How would your life look differently if you could say that was true of you? How would your parenting look differently if you could say that was true of you? How could you at work be differently if you could say that was true of you? Will you stop playing the victim card? Oh, you just don't know what my childhood is like. Well, you, you grew up in the perfect home. I grew up in the broken home, so I can yell at everybody I want to yell at. Well, my dad wasn't around, so I don't, I, I, I don't know what to do. Nobody ever showed me how to do this. I don't know how to do taxes, so I'll just lie. Excuses. Jesus says, will you continue to let your life be defined by your wounds and your scars and the things that happened to you that left a mark? Oh, you let your life be defined by the fact that me and God called to play a long time before it ever happened, that by my wounds, you could be healed. He said, would you let your life be defined by my wounds, my scars? Because in heaven, that's all there will be. There will be no more wounds in heaven. There will be some scars, though. Even post-resurrection, Jesus had scars, right? He shows up to Thomas. Thomas is like, I don't believe it. I don't, Mm-mm nobody resurrects that's not what happens and Jesus who again in mercy didn't like do something really crazy to him like trip him up out of his chair or something I don't know just teleports into the room It's like check it out Thomas see this lifts up his shirt Says, put your finger in there you see that that's what happens when what's fair doesn't happen That's what happens when grace happens. And my prayer is that we can be a people who when things happen to us that leave a mark, we choose to let grace leave a mark on them. Now some of you here, you have been unable to do this your entire life. You've been unable to not retaliate, to not go eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Or you have been a consistent pacifist. You've been walked over and taken advantage for your whole life, and you're angry. Nobody knows it, but you're very angry. And so either you are on one side of the coin saying, I can't forgive, I'm gonna get even, I'm gonna blow the lid off, everything else, or you're the person who's saying, well, you just make excuses, everybody walks all over you. And you can't be a person who gives grace because, friend, you haven't received it yet. So I wanna take a second this morning, and if you're here and you've never received the grace of Christ, you've never taken him in as the one who gave you as that poor beggar the grace, the love, and the mercy that only a good God could give. I want to invite you in to receive that this morning. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow our heads, let's pray. If that's you and you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, you've never uh, repented of your sins, you've never asked him to forgive you of those things, you wonder why you can't forgive people, why you naturally jump to retaliation before giving grace and giving forgiveness, why you want things to be fair instead of being grace, it's because you haven't seen grace yet prayers you would see him today and if that's you and you want to see him pray something like this jesus forgive me of all the times i've taken advantage of you and here in this moment i want to take full advantage of your mercy and of your grace i'm giving you my life I'm giving you my past, I'm giving you right now, and I'm giving you my future. You're my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life and let it be fully yours. Let my heart be your heart today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. and if you're praying that, you mean it. If you're online, you're praying that, you mean it. The Bible says the next thing to do to solidify the faith that Jesus is beginning is to take a step. So it's not just something you hear up here, you believe up here, but it's something that's real in your life. He says, take this step of baptism. That's when that old life that was tooth for tooth and eye for eye becomes a life that's defined by grace because you are buried underneath the water and those sins, that old sinful way, that old sinful thing that said, I want to get fair, I want to get even, is raised up by someone who is now fully blown away by the grace of God so that they can give away the grace of God. If you prayed that prayer and you want to make those decisions, there's a Next Steps card right there in your chair. Fill that out if you want to get baptized today. Fill that out if you're making those. Decisions. Fill those out if you want to give your life to Christ. I'll be back there in the back to receive those. You can put them in the boxes in the back. But don't let today be a day where you continue to just live as a person who... Tries to get even. You're going to show up at the end of your life nowhere near it. But let today be a day where you say, I'm going to be a person who gets grace. What will happen is you'll show up at the end of your life with an abundance, and then you'll be welcomed into the abundance of grace that is the fullness of the glory of God in heaven. So in these moments here, commune with Jesus. Talk with him, meet with him, see what he's doing in your heart. Don't deny that thing you feel in your in your chest. That's this that's the Holy Spirit. It's not anything else, but God talking to you right now. So don't turn that away. Don't let fear in. Let him move, let him work. Let's pray. Jesus, move in the lives of my friends, church family who needs you desperately. Forgive us of our wrongs. Forgive us for the time we wanted things to be fair and we overlooked how unfair you treated us for the positive. Meet us here in these moments, Jesus. Don't leave us the same. In your name.